Well, this morning we'll be in, uh, continue our studies in the Gospel of John. So turn there with me to John chapter 18. And this morning we're going to look at verses 12 through 27. I'm uh, grateful that Pastor John covered for me last week. And uh, so I'm grateful for that to get a break every once in a while. But glad to be back. I really enjoy teaching God's Word. So let's, uh, let's pray once again and ask God to bless this time. Lord God, we are so grateful again to be in your presence, to have the opportunity as well to come before you, to read your word and meet together as brothers and sisters. And we look forward to hearing what you'd say to us as a church, Lord God. And I pray that you would minister to each and every heart in this room this morning, that you, Lord God, are faithful to meet them where they are in their lives. And I pray that, Lord God, that you would comfort those who need to be comforted And you would convict those, Lord God, who would need to be convicted, all because of your great love. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, this morning we're going to look at the first trial of Jesus where he's put on trial. And it's funny to even say that, to think that God could actually be put on trial, that somebody would dare to do this. But before we're quick to judge, I would... I would issue a word of caution, because if you think about it, how many times do we ourselves question what God is doing in our lives or question what he's doing and think that we know better what God should be doing in our lives? How often do you question his word in your own life and me as well when something's happening or we read something in scripture that we don't always enjoy and we question God? That's done so often. So again, I say that just as a as a caution, as we look in the pages of Scripture, and we see how could people do such things that we would be careful because I would venture to say that that we do it so often ourselves as well. And we also fail to recognize something that when we refuse to do what God tells us to do, we are in essence saying we know better. We're judging God again in that sense. So again, be careful. And this morning in the text, I believe the Apostle John records a couple of incidences that are reminders that God is in control of all things and that he knows all things and he knows what he is doing. And so we must entrust our lives and and believe in the Lord. Even when we don't understand what's going on. God's word is a constant reminder to us of this truth that God is in control. And since God is in control, this should bring comfort to each and every one of us who are his children. And as I was thinking of that this week, I was thinking, why is it that sometimes we think that we don't trust God or God's word does not bring us comfort as it should? And there are a few things that I'll point out. Number one. The human race is cursed with sin, which blinds us and keeps us from trusting God. And all those who are involved in the trial of Jesus are going to be evidence of that curse. They're blinded. They don't see that God's word is a comfort. We'll also see that the apostle Peter is is evidence of this as well. And since God is in control, it would follow that he uses events in our lives to draw us to his, to himself. And again, sin blinds many people from repenting and returning to God. 
even though God's word is drawing them back to him or trying to draw them back. Sin is seductive and it's alluring. And sometimes it can puff us up into thinking that we know what's best or we want our way. And again, these points will be seen this morning when we read the text of the trial of Jesus. So let's look at that this morning. So let's start in verse 12. Again, last week, uh, Pastor John had taught us or, or had read through the story of the arrest of Jesus. And now he's being taken to trial. And verse 12 begins by saying this. So the Roman cohort and the commanders and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now, Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of all people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now, that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought, and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. And I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them, and they, they know what I said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if I have rightly, but if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. So here we have the account of Jesus' first trial, and also interweaved in this is the denial of Peter. So here again, going back to the text, Jesus is arrested and bound by the Roman battalion, and then their commander, excuse me, and their commander and the temple guard. So he's taken to Annas. Uh, now, Annas, it says here in Scripture for us, is the father-in-law of, uh, father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest. And in telling, in John's recounting of this, he's telling the reader, us, what Caiaphas said. If you go back to verse 14, look, at, look, at, look there with me for a second. So he makes this little note. He says, now Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. And I think here John is demonstrating God's sovereignty in all things, especially in this illegal and blasphemous trial of the word of God. 
So John is writing this gospel. And so those of us who are reading it after the fact, he inserts this comment. And again, I want to stress this. I think he's doing this to give us comfort. And I'll show you that in a moment. So let's see this original context that John is stating in verse 14, because it's very important. Go back with me to uh, chapter 11, where this was originally spoken. And we're going to look at verses 47 through 52. And I want to read that. Uh, John eleven forty seven through 52. So this was early on in the ministry of Jesus. It says, therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? So they're trying to capture Jesus and have him say some things that would um, uh, purge himself or get himself in trouble. And so for this man, he says, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, and here's the point, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for his people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied, see, God's in control of this, that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one of the children of God who are scattered abroad. So here, John's commentary on this section is that Excuse me. John's commentary on this section is that he came to know is what he came to know after the event. So he didn't this didn't come to him when it first happened. It was after when he was recording it. He's making a comment to the reader so that you can trust God that, hey, this prophecy came. And even though this uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, said this, he didn't truly understand what it meant. But we understand and take comfort, reader, that even though Jesus was going to die, that God is in control. And Jesus was not going to only die for the nation of Israel, but for all people, and God was going to make them one, one people for God. This is part of God's plan. So he's saying, don't freak out on what's going on or what happened to Jesus. God is true. God is in control. And that's why I'm telling you these things. And then going back to John 18... John is telling the readers what's going to happen now again. So don't don't be upset. Don't be discomforted. Don't be surprised what happened. This is as God prophesied. God was in control even of the trial and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. In essence, John is saying, remember, Caiaphas said this a while back and now you're seeing it happen again. So many times we as believers need to be reminded of what God said because we so easily forget. So here John is saying, remember, this is what was supposed to happen. This is what prophesied. Now you see it happening. This was the guy that said this a while back. So again, be calm. Take comfort because God is in control. You can put your trust in him and you can rest in him even in even in something as heinous as the arrest and persecution and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so going back to our text, again, I think that's important to point out. Now we go to verse 15, and and John begins to interweave the denial of Peter. 
And Peter usually gets a bad rap, right? Usually when we get to these sections of the Scripture, there may be a sermon about falling away, which is good, or about denying the Lord. But I want to point out, at least Peter was there. Have you ever thought about that? Where are the other nine disciples? Because Judas is already gone. There's another disciple. It's probably the Apostle John here in our story that's with Peter. But at least Peter was following the Lord. He wanted to see what was going on. Now, I'm not saying, hey, his denial is is something good, but I am saying at least he was there. So I don't want to beat up on Peter too much. And, And something else about Peter's denial, I don't think it was that he didn't love God or that he truly didn't believe in God. I think it was more about self preservation. I mean, here is the leader of his group being taken to trial, and he knows what's probably going to happen. He sees all that's going on, and Jesus has been telling them over the past year or so, um, really three years, I should say, that he was going to die. He was going to be given up to the Jewish officials and be crucified. And now it's happening, and Peter sees it. And not only that, Peter had just done something in the garden that might have got him in trouble as well. He had just cut off one of the high priest's slaves' ears. And so maybe he was thinking, man, if I admit that I'm that guy... They may put B on trial as well. So he didn't want to volunteer himself up. Now, obviously, he lied because he's saying, I didn't know the Lord. But again, I, I'm not here to beat up on Peter. I'm sure you can find a number of sermons that will do that. But again, I, I just want to point out that at least he was there. Peter was following even at a distance. He wanted to see what was going to happen to his Lord. And so that's what we see in verses 15 through 19 as as Peter's warming himself outside to find out what is going on. Let's drop down to verse 19 now. And look at the trial of Jesus continue. And, And John picks it back up here and he says, The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teachings. So there's two things that Jesus is questioned about. One, his disciples. And we're not told what was said. And as you'll notice, Jesus doesn't even address that question. Again, I think it's to protect his disciples, just like he did in the garden. You remember last week, Pastor John talked about how Jesus stepped out in front and said, here I am, let these men go. Jesus is always protecting his disciples. The second thing that they question him about is found in verses 20 and 21. Let me read that to you. It's his teaching. And here's what Jesus' reply is. Jesus says, I've spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews came together, and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. So here again, they want Jesus to incriminate himself. Tell us about your teachings. And Jesus is not going to volunteer that up. He says, hey, I taught openly in the synagogues. I taught in the temple where all you guys were. You know what I said. How many times did we see this in the gospel of John over and over? And he's like, I already told you guys this. But you refuse to believe. And he does it again. Matter of fact, he says, hey, question all the people who have heard what I have said. They'll tell you what I've taught. And that's what we find next in verse 22, where a officer of the high priest hits Jesus. Could you imagine being that? I can't imagine being that guy. 
hitting Jesus in the face. That is crazy. As you look back, I mean, how quickly could have Jesus just looked at him and just, it's over for that guy. Honestly, I, I hope that guy repented because I would hate to be that guy on Judgment Day. As they pulled up the screen and they, you know, I don't know if there's a screen. I'm just, you know, and they, and they, he can't deny it. Is that you? No, that wasn't me. Like cops. No, that wasn't me. That's not mine. No, that was you. You did that. But imagine that punching the creator of the universe. That's insane. And obviously he did not realize who Jesus was at that time. But it's just something to, to, to contemplate. Striking Jesus in the face for what he said, for his words. <clears throat> so again, going back to our text. So Jesus responding, responds to this strike, this blow in verse 23. And asks, what did I do wrong? He asks them in verse 23, if I have spoken wrongly, testify to that wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So either he's looking at Annas or the man who struck him or everybody and say, hey, did I say something wrong to your question? And obviously the answer is no. And Annas knows it because there's, there's no reply from Annas. As a matter of fact, look at verse 24. What does Annas do? Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So because Annas has no answer for Jesus, he sends him away. And as I was thinking about that, as I was studying, I thought, how true is that for people when they have no answer to what God says, that they try to send him away in some sense. They try to defend themselves or their actions in light of God's word, and they have no answer to it. So what do they do? They get rid of God. If you can't answer the Lord, the best thing is just, hey, pretend like he's not there. Maybe God doesn't see what I'm doing because I know what I'm doing is wrong. If I just don't say anything, then maybe it will all just go away. No. And even us as believers sometimes, we, if we would admit it, we do the same thing in our own lives when we are in the middle of sin and we don't want to repent. And we know that we're wrong. What do we do? We, we don't send the Lord away, but what do we do? We maybe stop reading God's word because that's where we know if we read God's word, he's going to convict me of that sin that I'm doing. I know what he's going to say. We don't pray anymore. We, in a sense, stay away from God. We won't worship the Lord. You know, how could you stand and worship the Lord and say all these wonderful things about him when you know that you're in the midst of sin? Or maybe you run and hide and you stay away from God's people. You stay away from fellowship with other believers and you stay away from the church. In essence, that's what we do when we have no answer for God's word, what he's telling us to do, what he's called us to do. That's how we run away from God. That's how we send him away. And we stay away from anywhere where God's word might speak to us. Right. We've all done that. Maybe there's some of you now who are doing it. Even in the middle of a sermon, you're going to be like, yeah, but that doesn't really apply to me. Yeah, I'm not really doing it like that. I didn't really smack Jesus in the face and I didn't I don't send Jesus away. No, but we don't fellowship with him. 
We don't read his word. We don't pray. We don't worship. Sometimes we stay away from church. Be careful, brothers and sisters, that we don't do that. That's a dangerous place to be in. So now, John brings us back to the story of Peter in verses 25 through 27. And in telling the, the reader here about the rooster crowing, uh, and Peter denies the Lord for a third time, there's a reminder to us, and I'm going to point out in a minute, that God is in control even of this. So let's look at this, this closing part of, the ch- of this uh, sermon this morning. He says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You're not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. And one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Now, it's not told to us in this gospel the significance of the rooster crowing. But, at least right here, I should say. But earlier in John chapter 13, verse 38, Jesus told Peter. He said, you know what? These are my, this is my paraphrase. You're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows. Again, it was a warning of God's word to Peter about what was going to happen. And it was a reminder to Peter, as we'll see in a few moments, that God knew it and God was in control. And God is not surprised by this denial by his close disciple. And there's a lesson for for us to find in Peter's denial, and it's this. That God's word is an important means of his convicting us of our sins and drawing us back to himself. Because in the other gospels, when this happened, Peter was reminded, it says, of what the Lord had told him. So he was reminded of God's word to him that he was going to do this. And what did Peter do because of it? The, uh, the other gospels record that Jesus, or excuse me, that Peter wept bitterly. And he was sorry right when he heard the rooster crow a third time. Because you remember, the Lord told me I was going to do this. And thankfully for Peter, he repented and came back to the Lord. And we know this, it's not recorded here, but in the other Gospels it is. But later on in John's Gospel, specifically in verse 21, Jesus restores Peter and tells him, Tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. So we know that Peter repented when he was convicted of his sin. And again, God's word sometimes is meant for us to be convicted. And this is in stark contrast to Annas. Remember now, when Annas heard the word of God from Jesus himself, what did he do? He sent Jesus away and had nothing to do with him. Peter, when he heard God's word, he mourned. He remembered it and he he mourned and he wept bitterly and repented and came back to the Lord. So let me point out a, a few things here that we can take with us this morning and apply to our lives as we conclude this morning's sermon. And that's this, that God's word should bring comfort and conviction to our lives. God's word should bring comfort and conviction 
to our lives. When I say comfort, again, John reminds us that in the midst of this trial, God is in full control. And again, that should bring comfort to us. John wrote these things so that it would bring comfort to the believers as well. God's word is written for us so that we might be comforted by it. Again, this, all that's taken place here, as John's recording, is a reminder that God's in control of the trials and struggles of the lives of his disciples, and by extension, ours as well. So how does, how does this bring comfort, knowing God's in control? Well, we know from Scripture that God allows only what is edifying to our lives. Now, it might not be nice and, and, comf- and it might bring discomfort, but you know that if it's happening in our lives, that God is doing it to edify us. Right. Romans five. Turn with me to Romans five verses one through five. And let me give you an example of this. Because you may be going through something and you're thinking, "Okay, Robert, you say this is edifying. I don't see it as edifying. But look at what um, Paul writes to the church in Rome in uh, Romans five. Look, we're going to look at verses one through five. He says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Everything sounds good so far, right? We have faith. We're justified. Amen to that. But look what he says. And not only this, so not only the good things do we exalt him. He says this, but we exalt in our tribulations, there's one of those things when you read God's words, like, I didn't want to read that right there. But he's telling us, but we exalt in our tribulations. How and why? Look at knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. God uses tribulations in the believer's life to make us stronger, to trust in God even more as we go through it. So when we run from God in the midst of tribulations, we do not grow. If you guys do, do if when we do things in life, whether it's sports or you know our jobs, the things that we want to get better in, it doesn't just happen overnight. There's struggles, there's tribulation, there's trials. But if you persevere, you finally get through it and you're better for it on the on the other side. The same is true for our Christian life. In order for us to grow, to be comforted in in our faith. We have to take those things as well, know that God is going to work this for my good. And isn't that exactly what Romans 8, 28 says? He says, we know again, we know. How does he know? Because he knows the Lord. Because he knows the Lord's word. He's listening to the Lord's word. We know that God causes all things work together for good. For who? For everybody in the entire world? No. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you're a believer, you can take comfort in that whatever is going on in your life, God is going to work it for good. And it's going to make us stronger. So we just need to trust our trust in the Lord, hold on to the Lord. 
We can also um, take comfort in this, that God brings about his glory in all things. God is going to bring about his glory in whatever we're going through, whatever trial that you're in. So I pray this morning that you will take comfort in that. And again, the Apostle John in writing uh, John 18 was telling his readers that, that, hey, Caiaphas said this thing. Remember, I told you, and now it's happening. Take comfort. God's in control. Remember, Peter, God told him that he was going to deny him three times and he did take comfort. God knows what's going on. So God's word should bring comfort to our lives. And lastly, God's word should bring conviction to our lives. So, again, we saw this in Peter's denial, how God used his word to convict Peter of sin. And this is how God calls. Calls us to come back to him as well through his word. And again, that's why I said when we do away with God and we don't want to hear him, we don't we're not allowing him to speak to us to call us back to himself. That's what God. That's why God. That's what God can use his word for to call us back to himself. See, God's word calls believers to repent and to grow. He was calling Peter, hey, you're going to sin against me, but guess what? I know you truly love me, and you're going to repent, and you're going to grow. What did he give him as a result of that, of his repentance? He gave him a ministry to tend his sheep, to feed his flock. Peter was one of the greatest apostles. Why? Because he repented. He understood what he did was wrong, according to God's word, and he repented, and he grew from that. I'm reminded in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 12. This is a great reminder to us that we must read God's word so that we can be convicted and, more importantly, in this sense, so that we can grow as believers. Look at what he says here. Again, uh, the Apostle Paul writing to another church. Now, this is a long section, so I'm probably going to skip through a few verses here. He says this. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, not that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. So he's recounting for them the exodus and the things that they went through. And look at verse five. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. That's a nice way of saying they were killed in the wilderness they died in the wilderness so he's telling you hey that stuff that we've read in the past i don't want you to be unaware of why i wrote these things look at what he says in verse six now these things the things that i just talked about happened as examples for us they're examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. He's telling them that God's word, if we read it, is going to help us grow. We're going to learn from the past examples in Scripture, and we're going to grow. We're not going to repeat those same things, hopefully. And verse 11 says, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. So God's word for us as a church, 2018, 
gives us comfort and it also brings conviction. It shows us that we need to grow as believers. And hopefully as you come to God's word, you let God's word convict you of your sin and you do what Peter did and you repent and submit and humble yourself. Don't do what Annas did and push God away. Or maybe you're like, hey, the only time I read my Bible is when, you know, you read it on Sunday morning. You're not hearing from God the rest of the week because you're in sin and you don't want to hear from him. You're pushing him away. Don't do that, brothers and sisters. Take the example of Peter and be sorry for your sin. Repent of your sin and allow God to help you turn from that and to grow. And lastly, maybe this morning, there's some in here this morning who are unbelievers. God's word calls unbelievers to repent and to believe. So God uses events in our lives to draw us to himself as believers. But you know what? Even as an unbeliever, God puts you in certain places in your life so that you'll turn to him. God's doing all these things around you that you don't even know so that you would see him, that you would come to know him. I like this verse, and this is the last verse I'll read in Acts 17. Turn there with me. Acts 17, verses 26 to 27. It's a great verse to showing you how God's in control and how God does everything to draw you into himself. Look at what he says in verse 26, 17, 26. He says, and he, speaking of God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Okay, having this is this is the part. Look at this. Having determined their appointed times and their boundaries of their habitations. So God has appointed every person the certain time that they're going to live in or the era that they're going to live and the place that they're going to live. Why did God do that? Look at what it says. Verse 27, that they would seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Think of that. Even as a, a non-believer, when you and I were non-believers, God put us in certain situations so that we would see his glory, that we would cry out to him. God was chasing after us, so to speak, so that we might see him. So wherever you are in life right now, look around. God is crying out to you, showing you his glory so that you would come to him. And I pray that you don't miss that this morning. And again, that's for the believer and non-believer. Whatever's going on in our lives, God is using it to show himself to us for the believer so that we might maybe repent if we're in a place of repent or that we might grow. And for a non-believer that we would repent and believe. I pray that none of us would miss that this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word. Again, how it was written for an example to us. I pray that we would not miss that. That we would not push you away or push you aside as Annas did. But that we would see that you are calling out to us. That you chase after us. Because you love us, Lord God. And you don't want to see us go astray. Lord God, you told a parable of 
to your children that you would leave the 99 to get that one stray sheep. And if there's anybody in this morning, Lord God, who is that one sheep, I pray that they would see you chasing after them, doing all things so that they might come back to you. And I pray they would not leave this morning until they do. Maybe there's some of us here this morning, Lord God, who know we are in a place that we shouldn't be. That maybe we are holding grudges, we're upset at somebody, we're in the middle of some sin, and Lord God, we know that you're calling us to repent and to grow from that. I pray that we would not push you away. I also pray, Lord God, this morning for those in this room who may not believe in you. Lord God, that they would see that they're here today at this appointed time to hear your word and to be convicted by it. That they might see all that you've done for them. And because of your great love, they might love you. I pray that as well, Lord God. And we thank you for your word. Help us, Lord God, to be comforted by it and to be convicted by it when it's necessary. We thank you and we love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.